check one two 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 one is this oh no this is an mf doom this is some other stuff where am i what's going on marcus marcus is in here right now scott oh I'm sorry. oh john but yes i'm here hi how are hi you john doing? john armenio how you doing i'm doing good uh how about yourself i am alive and sometimes that's all we got which is pretty damn good most of the time yeah do you like movies i love movies scott do you like movies i do i especially like unpacking movies sometimes and try to look at their deeper meanings and sometimes cross-reference other films that look at other meanings that might connect to each other so what is the name of this side quest podcast we got going on this is popcorn eschaton a podcast about sojourning uh, into the spiritual realm via film and trying to expand our horizons you ever smoke pcp um not yet but i am going to a drive-in sometime this weekend so i might there but i'll i'll get back to you on that dinners drive-ins and dives yeah yeah i can uh eat, eat hot wings and smoke pcp with guy fieri at the drive-in is a good yeah. band. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Yeah, Relationship of Command blew my mind when I was like 19. When we were young. Yeah. So what films are we <laughs> discussing today? Uh, we're discussing a very interesting pair of films. Uh, Wanders of the Desert, directed and written by Nasir Kamir from 1984, and Daughters of the Dust, uh, written and directed by Julie Dash. And, you know, Scott, uh, our last episode where we, you know, talked about Paul Schrader and, you know, First Reformed always makes me think about, like, the movies it's in a conversation with, like like Leon Marin Priest and Die of a Country Priest and Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light. And as much as I would love to get to those films and, like, maybe eventually, uh, you know, you and I sort of embarked upon this podcast to expand our horizons and look at other viewpoints and, and and movies from other places and so that's why I'm I'm just as excited to get into Wanderers of the Desert as I would be to Ingmar Bergman so I'm real happy to be discussing these movies today so t tell me about choose one and tell me a little bit about them yeah uh so let's start chronologically uh so Wanderers of the Desert is by the Tunisian filmmaker and poet Nasir Kamir. Um, it's the Desert Trilogy. Um, yeah, what is the other one? Uh, the Dove's Lost Necklace and Bob Aziz were the other two films. Maybe we'll touch on those later. They're uh, excellent movies, yeah. but we can discuss them outside of this. For sure. Um, I, but I was totally unaware of this filmmaker uh, before Spencer of the Shoot the Piano Player pod sort of clued me into this movie. Uh, so mm -hmm. many Big thanks. And, yeah, shout out to him. Uh, and I was just really kind of enraptured by the poetic nature of the film. I really fell in love with it. There's so much just striking imagery. It feels like a story out of... A Thousand and One Arabian Nights put the film, and I think 
that mythology was definitely an influence in Kamir's filmmaking. Um, so what about you, Scott? What, what was your first exposure to this movie? I saw it a long time ago with some friends who have more mystical Islamic leanings and are into spiritual parables. And I've seen this movie a long time ago, but I had not seen it again until recently. And it's pretty easy to find in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a certain, you know, very well-known streaming site that has a lot of movies that you can find that have really excellent subtitles. And yeah, it just, uh, you know, cause I had also suggested for you to see meetings with remarkable men, which is, a uh, another, you know, spiritual film about lyricism and, and belief and space and place and people. And I was just really taken aback by the beauty and the cinematography and the sparse use of population and the storytelling and the the idea of teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're and, introduced to, ostensibly the movie is about uh, a teacher who's assigned to this very remote village in a desert. And, you know, we meet him on a bus on the way to this town. But, like, the driver doesn't know the town exists. We see some very strange imagery out the window of people just digging in the desert amid a sandstorm. It's, you know, very surreal, even from the beginning. And when the teacher gets to the town, you know, there's no real school. Nobody really knows how he got assigned there. It seems like a place out of time and we're just sort of inundated with very striking imagery very a lot of striking images about uh of like a ruined town in the middle of the desert and what goes on in this desert um well the titular wanderers are people from the village who go off into the desert looking for treasure and we sort of see them throughout the film, wandering as one does, singing very haunting songs. And, um, you know, the teacher, when he first gets into the town, he meets um, a sheik who puts him up in his house and sort of gives, gives him the rundown of all these mystical happenings. And he also has conversations with Haj who's sort of the the teacher of the town, the the keeper of knowledge. And there's just all sorts of discussions about, you know, the philosophy of what's going on in the town, various uh, spiritual matters. We meet um, a little 'er ne'er-do-well kid named Hussein, who's running to and fro doing pranks um, and annoying his grandmother. Uh, So, you know, it's very episodic, very uh, unconcerned with the plot itself and focused on very, like you said, lyrical and poetic imagery. And what is it the importance of keeping the traditions and keeping what we know? 
Hodge tells stories of an ancestor of his who was a calligrapher, and that before he died, he sort of charged his descendants to keep a log of everything that he recorded in his cartography book, but they ended up losing it, and that sort of cursed them and the village and, and his line of, of descendants. So there really is this sort of tie to um, place and history and, you know, genealogy, and that becomes part of the people of, of the town. And this, this also goes into some of the ideas that we will talk about in, you know, Daughters of the Dust, mm-hmm. because you're dealing with this family, the Gullah family, living off the Georgian coast, who in 1902 are going to have to leave their ancestral land and go to the continental U.S. And there's all this mythology and energy and culture that they don't want to lose. The folk, the folk traditions and the family traditions and the superstitions and the the argument of modernity versus pluralism, uh, civilization versus adaptation, um, which happens with when cultures meet. Yeah, exactly. In in Wonders of the Desert, there is a sense of a whole generation being lost when they go off into the desert. There's, you know, elderly people who say that, like, all our children are wanderers now. Um, they're gone. And there's this great sense of emptiness to the town and fear that, you know, when this older generation dies, there's going to be no one left to carry on their traditions, their way of life. Um, and, you know, I did watch an interview with Kamir where he had some very, like I thought, profound things to say about, you know, his views on filmmaking and his views on Arabic culture. And, you know, he chooses to film his stories in the desert because the Arabic language was created in the desert. So he says that when Arabic people speak, sand falls out of their mouths. Like, the the geography of the desert is in their language. And that the desert is a void. Like, it's, it's, you know, empty. And so the culture or Sufism is dedicated to sort of filling that void. Um, he talks about how the Kaaba in Mecca is an empty cube and, you know, so this entire, the entire pilgrimage, the Hajj is a quest to fill the void of the desert. Um, and I thought that, you know, the expression of those ideas, uh, was just so, you know, beautifully done in Wanders of the Desert. I, I find all those ideas very fascinating. And it's also this idea, the reason why I find these movies to be a beautiful couplet is because it's about like, eventually, if we're not careful, we will lose all these things. You know, um, even though Daughters of the Dust is about 
the 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 Gullah and this fear of losing everything that happened on the islands and what brought them there from Africa to North America, I can very relate to with, you know, the Ashkenazi Jews and the, the diaspora and mm -hmm. things that are lost, things that will eventually slowly through time get lost and until if there's no record, where is it? Have you watched uh, the new Ken Burns series about uh, America and the Holocaust? Uh, I have not, but I definitely intend uh, to do that. I just have, I have to get myself ready for it. I understand, and and it makes sense. But it's also they're trying to make a movie with with survivors of the Holocaust and. Yeah. Now, now the the survivors they were four, they were five, they were the twenty, thirty years from now, there will be no living ancestors, for the most part, from the Holocaust to talk firsthand. We will only have people who are descendants, mm -hmm. and now we we will one day have descendants of the civil rights, you know, civil rights issues in America, but that there won't be them to exist to talk and it's just going to slowly get more like this the the language of yiddish which was the 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 lingua franca of the jewish people only truly exists through certain religious se uh, sects mm -hmm. because when and this is a complicated subject when when israel was to be made a state uh, palestine israel the original language was was they wanted it to be Yiddish because that was truly the language of, of many Jews. And then they decided to re to make Hebrew a living language again, because it was largely a language only used in reading the the, the Jewish Bible. And that's what's so powerful about movies like this is because like if you. If you just let things slip a little bit, there's so much to lose. Mm -hmm. We're even finding out, and I know, oh, here's the here's the guy centering stories about people that had nothing to do with his culture to talk about his culture. But what I'm trying to say is that it all connects because culture is important. And the more that we learn about others, the more we learn what how imperialism and colonialism and capitalism and the patriarchy have taken away from our experiences and our existences because the fact that that Ashkenazi Jews had a lot of magical things and and things you might call witchy and and with herbs and crystals and things of that nature we lost for so many years except for oral traditions or finding books or finding examples. And then when you find out where the jumping the broom comes from in, in black traditions, when it comes to weddings or these are important things that we slowly lose. So, so the reason why I think these two movies together are so important besides the fact that I think they are beautiful movies. Mm -hmm. I think daughters of the dust is a, 
Well, how do you rate movies? Do you do five out of five, 10 out of 10? How, how do you, how do you rate a movie? Um, I really try to not use numbers. I, I, I'm sorry for being contrary, but you know, like, how do I, how do I put Wanders of the Desert on the same numerical scale as Roadhouse? You know what I mean? Like, they're, I, I they're love, different scales. Yeah, they're I love both scales. movies. But when I give them both five out of five, that that's also seems strange, you know. But I, so I, I just try and enjoy the movie uh on its own merits what i mean is like i rate things on different scales Mm -hmm. the scales that i rate a horror film a genre horror film a genre horror film that i give a five stars might not be the same way that i will give a tarkovsky movie five stars but for the the for for the world that they are existing mm-hmm. in it is a five star movie. The the film Mandy is a to me a four and a half star movie in the world that it exists in. Mm-hmm. Which is all to say that I find Daughters of the Dust to be a five star movie, a a near perfect movie, a movie that not only elevates the craft, makes you think. It educates, it does everything that a truly powerful piece of art can do. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, but real quick, before we jump into Daughters uh, of the Dust uh, in full, I just wanted to speak to what you're talking about concerning, you know, imperialism and the patriarchy washing away ancient, ancient traditions is that, you know, um, Wonders of the Desert, addresses that directly with the introduction of the policeman character and his clerk. And, you know, he comes off as a completely absurd character trying to, like, establish objective rules and facts into this, like, poetic framework of the village. Um, And then you have his clerk trying desperately to record everything in his book and trying to answer questions about, you know, Cordoba and Granada and other Al-Andalusian locations from Hussein. And, you know, it really is a poetic way to expose the absurdity of, you know, imperialism and authoritarianism. So I, I really found that that section very different from the first half of the film, but also equally as intriguing. It is a shame we lose a teacher because he's a much more likable character than this uh, policeman. But but I thought it was a really interesting way to take the movie. But anyway, uh, Daughters of the Dust. Um, so uh, when was the first time you were exposed to this movie, Scott? When I was talking, I was lamenting with my podcast co my other podcast guy well i there's the podcast that i've been doing for many years called zebras in america with marcus panda Pinland empire which is in which is in a unofficial hiatus but we will come back and right now i am also the co-host of a leftist informed deep space nine podcast called south pod deep space nine where we go over every single episode of Deep Space Nine from a leftist context. 
So I started, I, I watched Daughters of the Dust because M. Tume, another M. Tume Gant, a filmmaker who's been on Zebras in America a lot, was like, and I was lamenting like that there weren't, a, a, like I was like, where are the artsy, um, independent, lyrical, black films? Art, do they exist? Have we not seen them? What's going on? Where are the the women filmmakers? And they were like, let me answer this in one movie, yeah. you know? And it had just gotten back on the streaming stuff. So me and my partner Saskia watched it and then watched it again and then watched it again. And and I've watched it many times just because it, it blew me away because I, I it was what I was looking for because I was just trying to understand these these filmmaking traditions from different lenses again as to why um you know diversity is so important in storytelling yeah i, I sort of came to this movie in the same way is it just you know eventually found its way on the lists of like you know underrated movies movies by black filmmakers movies by black women filmmakers movies you should see and yeah, I'm I'm just thankful that it's maintained the reputation enough to stay in people's minds, and to you know be exposed to anybody with a curious enough brain to to look for these films. And you know, I I know that Julie Dash had a great career after this movie in, in TV, and and did did a ton of of stuff. Um, but I it, it and also. James Kerry Washington and Bell Hooks just like worked on the book yeah, and yeah, the yeah. the art and stuff like really very important people in the in the African American black canon worked on this movie. Yeah, but it to me it seems a grievous crime um, that the movie industry committed that we don't have. 12 films directed and written by Julie Dash. Like I, it just like, this is a real auteur voice at the helm of this film. And, you know, I, I don't know what went on after this movie, but it, it just, it, it seems like Julie Dash had more films to give the world, but I'm, I'm of course thankful we got daughters of the dust. Cause it's a beautiful piece of art. Um, but um, I'm selfish, and and I I want. <laughs> I think the world deserves more from her. Is, is all I'm saying. Uh, say more. Um. Okay. Well, you know, this is a movie from 1991. Um, and so you know, like I said, it's always this is one of the movies that always winds up on lists of you know movies by black female filmmakers you need to see. Um. So why aren't there movies from 1998, 2001, 2015? You know, like why, why is there only one of the daughters of the? Why is there only one Daughters of the Dust every 30 or so years? Um, and maybe I'm not just just not looking in the right places. Um, and I, I mean, and it's also like, oh, there's like two white dudes talking about all this, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
The thing is, I think that there are. I think there are few and far between. Mm-hmm. I think this is also a rare, very special, beautiful movie that just exists in its own special way. Yeah. And why she wasn't made to make more movies. Yeah. It's just bullshit. Oh, and I meant Carrie James Marshall when I was talking about painters. I, I think I said Carrie James Washington, but no, uh, Carrie James Marshall, who's at this point considering one, considered one of the great modern painters of black figures. And it's just amazing that all these really brilliant, beautiful people work together yeah. to to make this movie. And yeah, like why, why? Is she just working on her second movie now? Like, why Wendell B. Harris made one movie? I mean, I, without saying the, the soft part out loud, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know why. But, yeah, yeah. so I'm sure there's a ton of reasons why this movie wasn't commercially successful in 1991. Um there's lots of industry pressure to prevent movies like this from being widely distributed. You know, that, that continues to this day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled if, if Julie Dash, you know, gets to direct another movie, I'm, I'm there to see it day one. And, but you know, like most of the cast, didn't do much acting outside of this. I mean, some of them had, you know, professional careers, but it's not like, hey, did did you know like so and so's first movie was Daughters of the Dust? That it, it, this was not a launching pad for you know luminous acting careers, unfortunately. So I. I mean, they, they there there are actors in the movies that acted, but yeah, it's not like the sounding board. You know, mm-hmm. you're right. Things that struck me on. You know, my second viewing of this film, you know, you were talking... Did you like the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the movie. Um, I like it more each time I watch it. It gets deeper and deeper the more I see it. Um, and one of the things that, that struck me, you know, we talk about diversity in film. And, you know, this is a movie exploring the Gullah culture of 1902 in a very specific point in history, when this family is moving from the Gullah Islands to the mainland. And it represents mm-hmm. sort of a splitting off of their culture, um, one that is more connected to the past and uh, a branch that's going to be more forward-looking. And even with that hyper-specific time, place, and culture, there's a incredible diversity of perspectives and viewpoints just in this one family. And so, you know, it just speaks to how important it is to have, you know, a diversity of voices because even in this hyper-specific, you know, framing of this way of life, there's an incredible diversity even in that. So, you know, we can't just be satisfied with like, okay, well, we've we've made our black studio film. We, we've done our bit to end racism. Like there's, 
there's an infinite amount of perspectives and, and voices out there that can give us great art. And so I think we, we need to be um, not just open-minded, but actively seeking out th those, those works of art. I agree. And I just think it's, yeah, just like also just like just challenge yourself. Yeah. If you're like, if you're like, you know what? I really only like superhero movies. That's okay. I mean, I think you're limiting yourself, but you know what? I'm going to try to see a foreign superhero movie this year. Or, you know, let me see, let me just try to find a Bollywood superhero movie. Or, you know what? I heard Triple R was really cool. Let me check that out. Or I'm going to check out Valerian, you know? Um, or, or look into if maybe there's like a, you know, martial arts superhero movie that, that exists outside of, you know, what you're used to. Just like once a year, yeah. just try, try something of a thing you like, but try a different version of the thing you like. And you might be surprised that, that just the different points of view of, of where this character comes from, you're like, oh, wow, that really changes everything. You know, a lot of people are that were really enjoying Miss Marvel were like, oh, wait. I didn't really know about the partition. I don't really know about Pakistan and India. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, now, spoilers. Have you seen this show? Yes. Okay. Spoilers. That's also how we're going to get the mutants in the MCU. So, like, <laughs> it's pretty cool, you know? If, or like... Yeah, I mean, I have a, <laughs> we better not get into MCU stuff. I got all sorts of opinions. <laughs> I, I think I think the MCU is a really great way of convincing people into fighting arguments for billionaires and defending like, you know what? Let me not go there. Well, because you were talking about the Ashkenazi Jewish experience, Moon Knight had an opportunity to explore Jewish culture the way Ms. Marvel explored like the partition, but it it. Uh, didn't do that anyway um, you know one of the things that I find really inspiring about Daughters of the Dust is its ability to tackle incredibly difficult topics incredibly while also celebrating life like it's a movie about the consequences of slavery um about the sexual exploitation and rape of slave women about what to do with the children of the women who were raped how to incorporate them into their families um and it does that without exploiting the pain of those experiences without dwelling on them without commodifying them and finding a way to, you know, let these characters have joy, even with all of that trauma, as they grapple with that trauma. Like, I don't know if there's ever been a movie that's been able to do all of that at the same time. And, you know, it as somebody who, like, personally 
struggles with how to tell stories of America's past without doing it in an exploitative or way that's making it more painful. Um, I, I find this an incredibly instructive and inspiring piece of work. I agree. Also, like, what's so powerful about either of these books, not books, movies, is that they're... So, my partner has used Daughters of the Dust to, like, when she's working in, like, teaching Mm -hmm. to get kids to just watch it to get an idea of, like, like, a mood board of ideas and, like, how to tell stories and, like like get away from non-sequential storytelling yeah. and, and usually populations for which that would relate to that movie. And I feel like you could just do, you could easily do that as well with this other movie. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mood boards, uh, montage pieces. Um, it, you know, it's really about establishing like a, a mindset and an atmosphere and creating beautiful images and, you know, providing characterization through symbolism or just like the way a character looks, the way a character speaks. So like uh, the, the matriarch of the, the family in Daughters of the Dust, the Bazant family, um, she provides a lot of narration, a lot of discussion, but she's also, you know, wearing this very, you know, unit, like, one color indigo dress. And you see a a flashback Mm -hmm. to, like, that was sort of her, quote-unquote, job when she was a slave is to make indigo. So, you know, oh, like, at some point I put together, oh, it's 1902, she's had this dress since she was a slave. Like, she has not gotten Mm -hmm. a new item of clothing in 50 years. So there's just all sorts of details in Daughters of the Dust that, you know, creates this, you know, smorgasbord of, of imagery that, that tells us the story of these people. Um, and whether th- there's logic to it or not, it doesn't really matter uh, just because, you know, it somehow it feels right that it's there. And you just have to do the yeah. work. You have to do work. You know, I feel like if they, I mean, I think it would be hard to remake Harold and Maude these days because of like obvious things. But have you seen Harold and Maude? Yeah, it's wonderful. One of the biggest reveals in the movie, if you haven't seen Harold and Maude, I mean, I'm spoiling it, but come on. Hal Ashby is probably my favorite like American filmmaker of his of his time. There's a scene where Harold So Harold and Maude is about a young man who's really very unhappy and has some money and is always pretending to try to opt out if you know what I mean and then he meets this much older much wiser, happier woman who is just lovely, Maud in every way. And they they have a connection and they have a romantic connection and a sexual connection. And you're 
the movie came out either in the 70s or 60s, probably the yeah. 70s. Yeah, 70s. And you're trying to understand why this older woman is like this and so kind and loving and and caring to this character. And there's just this one scene where they hold each other's hands and you look and it blink and you missed it. She has numbers tattooed on her arm. Now, what does that mean, John Armenio? It means she was in the Holocaust. She was in a concentration camp. Now, if I'm, if I'm, I don't know if it's ever said, do they ever say I was in the Holocaust? I don't think so. Exactly. Now, do you think these days in movies, we would be able to do that? Do you think, do you think we could just have that, the big part be something that you just have to pay attention to? Um, maybe, I think because tattoos on the arm at this point, it's, a pretty clear indicator that somebody was in a concentration camp. Um, but I'm sure there would be one or two studio notes saying, could we get somebody to explain that this character was in a concentration camp? I'm just yeah. saying there was, there's a time in movies where you could just infer yeah, something sure, and sure, be like, sure. Oh, it's not like it's canon that she is a survivor. It's just never said. Yeah. And and it's it's inferred that all of these people in in um, Daughters of the Dust survived slavery and the horrors of slavery. And when they talk about certain things, what they're real, they're saying one thing and it's meaning another thing. And I miss that. Uh, the ability for film goers to connect dots like. Like there are even in these marvel movies you the the twist needs to be said out loud otherwise people just don't get it and i don't think people are dumb i think we've been force fed a type of art which doesn't force us to connect the dots and put thought into what we're doing and it's sad because that's fun for me yeah, and you know it it helps illustrate the importance of being able to make inference with a movie like Daughters of the Dust where you can watch it again and again and get new and different things from it, you know, as good um and entertaining as a lot of, you know, blockbuster movies are, most of them you don't get more from like you you know, you could watch something like Jaws ten times and, and get new stuff from it, but that's you know, J- Jaws. Um, but it's getting just harder and harder to know where the next Daughters of the Dust comes from because there are like obviously brilliant artists making movies now, but the structure of things is that it's incredibly difficult to know where to go for those great works of art because it, there's just this wall of content that's undifferentiated and it's sort of up to us to try and find what suits us. And there's certainly advantages to that, but it also just makes it more difficult to find the masterpieces that are being made now. I think a lot of it, 
you have to leave America or you need to give you need to give more access and resources to populations that have stories to tell that don't often have the ability to tell the stories. Though I hear, you know, I hear Reservation Dogs is doing a very good job in 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 television. Yeah, it, it's yeah, Reservation Dogs is great. Yeah, it also is able to be, you know, very funny, um, very insightful about, you know, genocide, um, mm-hmm. and all of the myriad of issues that that face uh, people who live on reservations, who you know, also are dealing with: do we go out into the world or do we stay, you know? here where we are more connected with our past and there are advantages and disadvantages to both of those paths and you know and i i love in daughters of the dust how it doesn't decide for you because there are characters that we sympathize with that we empathize with that we agree on that have just diametrically opposed views on what the best future for this family is and you know for us to to understand like this giant family um in a culture so different from our own i, I think j- just speaks to the profundity of this movie the performances and you know even the sort of like artificial style of a lot of the dialogue and the and the acting, because there, there's several points in the movie where people just sort of monologue about, like, well, here's what I believe, here is the the stance that I'm taking, here's what the future of this family needs to be. And, you know, people don't really talk like that. But, like, the lyricism of the film, it, it doesn't really matter. This, this scene, this performance, this speech, this is what needs to happen right now. And I'm... I'm just overcome by the the power of, of some of those moments. Exactly. And uh, where would you like to go next time? Um, well, um, I'm very curious about um, Hourglass Sanitarium because you, you mentioned that on a, a previous record. And that's something that I've never seen. So I'm interested in taking a look at that one if you are. I am. I I would I would love to pair that with Cemetery of Splendor. I have never seen that either. So awesome. I, I get to watch two new movies and to discuss them with my friend Scott. I think that'll be great. And let's uh talk off record. All Definitely. right. Always a pleasure, friend. Same to you, sir. <laughs>